This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another Sky Blues Extra podcast, but this one is a very special one. I'm joined this evening by Andrew Greasley, but I'm also joined with a gentleman that had a very impressive spell with Wrexham. He caught the eye of Coventry City manager at the time, Gary McAllister. He signed him on a free transfer in the summer of 2003. He scored nine goals in 19 starts in his first season with Coventry. Sky Blues fans, have you guessed who it is yet? This little snippet of commentary might help you out. Come through for Manzori and here's Morel, yes! Anthony Morel makes it 2-1 to the Sky Blues. His third goal in as many games and the second league win of the season is within Graf. Free kick to the Sky Blues, be whipped in by Safri to Morel! 2-0, Andy Morel with the deftest of headers and the Sky Blues have clear water now between themselves and crew. Johnson, lovely little header from McSheffrey. Morell's in the clear. Andy Morell makes it two. What a move by the Sky Blues. Staunton can pick up the ball on the left and there might be a chance for them to reach some havoc here. Morell! What a finish! On the volley, that was graceful. And they come from behind against all odds here. Lovely whipped in ball, and Morel finishes it off with a plum. Of course, listeners, it's Andy Morel. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure I speak for everyone when we say we're really excited to hear all of your stories from yesteryear over the next hour or so. But thanks, thanks for being here. No, thank you very much for having me. It was great listening back to some of your goals during the time at Coventry City there, Andy, including that amazing scissor kick against West Ham at Highfield Road. We've got some very special memories of Highfield Road, but for you, do you have any favourite memories from your appearances there? Well, that was obviously one, um, and I've never heard that commentary, so it, it makes it does make your uh, hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little bit. But uh, obviously, that volley was a, a nice moment for me, uh, especially because, as well, it, the picture that was in the programme the week after. I've got it up on my wall at home. Uh, it's a great picture, a flying volley, and, and it was a good goal as well for, for me to score. Making my debut, Highfield Road was was brilliant, amazing. Um, also, my memory is that Stephen Hughes in goal for some random reason <laughs> is is you know it's got nothing to do with me, but him going in goal for that half a game and keeping a clean sheet was is just one 
one really good memory that I've got of, of Highfield Road. Yeah, they must be things that really stick out. It's very rare, isn't it, for a goalkeeper to, uh, you know, sorry, a play off the field player to jump in goal and, and between the sticks. But um, yeah, with, with with the ground itself, it, it really used to hold the noise in. Was it? Is it something that you could hear? You know, the fans at, at Highfield Road. Could you? You know, was it really loud when you were playing? Could you hear them? Was it sort of zone out? It, no, it was it was amazing the noise, especially coming from a big club in Wrexham. But it was nothing like a Coventry City. Do you know what I mean? And the noise, it was so close to the pitch, really tight, you know, double tier as well. They were right on you. And you could hear it as you walked out the tunnel, the few steps up to the pitch that we had from the from the changing rooms. Just a, a brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. And some, we had some really good nights there. Uh, under lights especially, I really like the evening games. But no, it was just a fantastic, fantastic crowd. And the, and the, the crowd were brilliant, brilliant with me when I was... When I was there for the for the three years, and uh, I couldn't fault them, and they certainly got us over the line in some of the games. Certainly, you got nine goals in nineteen starts. So it's some start uh, to your uh, Sky Blues career, Andy. What was the transition like from Wrexham to Cov? I was I was quite lucky because I was I, I had such a great season or a lucky season in the season before at Wrexham. You know, I had managed to score thirty four goals, and I'd score in three in every four games. So. I was doing all right, and so my confidence was really, really high. And yeah. then coming to a club like Coventry, um, I was a fairly localish lad around this area. Coming back home, I was able to come back to some of my mates near here. It was just a really perfect move for me. I couldn't have asked for anything better, you know. And also, I was coming back. I didn't really. I saw myself as going straight in the first team and kicking on and doing amazingly well. But I don't think that was necessarily the idea of the manager. I think I was more of a, a squad player. But he was really, really looking for hungry players that really wanted to do well for themselves rather than the been there done it type he was looking to really try and change the mentality of it and uh, and bringing in young lads Graham Barrett Doyler etc it really changed sort of the mentality in the changing rooms to young and hungry and wanting to do well but yeah I got injured in pre-season and um, missed most of it and I just I wasn't really looking forward to the triple sessions that were talked about getting back fit and having to play the reses and stuff but I got back for the, pretty much the first game of the season. I was fit and ready to go. Fortunately, played no football for them. So, and we had, I think it was Watford. We had called off because of the the tragic accident. Yeah. Um, was it the first of game course. of the season? Yeah, I, I um, do remember that now. Was it? Uh, it was. Um, I feel terrible for not remembering, but it was a young chap. I think that was on loan at the time. Maybe uh, that's right. He died in, in Manchester car, United. Maybe that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And I, I was actually um, going down to the game so weirdly I, I I used to live on the Isle of Wight and I madly went up the night before to my grandparents uh, and then was going to get the coach supporters coach down from Coventry to, to Watford yeah so of course so yeah I completely remember that now yeah and we were at the hotel having pre-match and I was like well I'm I've not played in football so I'll be lucky to get on the bench whatever it was and I was on the bench sadly we had to turn around and, and go back up so I ended up training up, up back at uh, Sky Blue Lodge um, so it was the Tuesday night game which I was lucky enough to get Nick back on the bench, Peterborough in the cup game, and uh, and I got on for 15 minutes. And ended up we ended up winning two 0 and I, and I just felt great. It was just amazing to play. Debut, you always want to do well. I didn't score. I could set up a couple, I think. And it just my confidence was really high. So that nine goals in 18 starts is, is sounds a really good stat, but I probably scored six, seven of those really early on, first seven, eight weeks, mm. and then it sort of just I didn't start that many games really. 18 probably in the season, I was more a sub. Do you know what I mean? He wanted to play Adibola and Sufo together uh, as a pair. And I was the one that was trying to push in me and Graham Barrow, trying to get in the team. And I did do that for a period and scored and I didn't score for a bit. And I was sort of straight out of the team again. 
and then Sabin coming on and doing well and yeah I just it, it was a bit of a, an up and down season really for me but I was made up to, to score nine I had a bonus at ten as well which was devastating but um, <laughs> yeah you take nine in your first season I suppose just going back to your point earlier about um, the pre-season and um, was it much difference from Wrexham obviously Wrexham were in a lower division weren't they and was it a big transition coming to Coventry regarding the training session and the intensity yeah the quality the standard it was just all so much higher you know what I mean and I just remember being in it was probably back end of pre-season probably just into the season and I'm I'm, we do a rondo warm-up box do you know what I mean of uh, a 5v2 possession thing and and I'm I'm in the middle of a box I mean Richard Shaw Steve Staunton what's his name what was the silver fox guy from Middlesbrough oh now you got me got me there Um, it will come back to me what will happen is we'll speak for about half an hour and then one of us will just go oh yeah (laughs) yeah it begins with R I'm sure it begins with R and he was he was on three day trial and I, I'm stood there, you know, Gary McAllister, obviously, um, in the box. And I'm just, stood there. I'm in the middle all the time, you know what I mean? Because they're keeping the ball for fun. And I'm just like, I get straight on the phone to my brother at the end and I'm like, he will never believe what I've, you know, I've been in a box and I've just buzzed off it because the player, standard of player was just, was just top draw. These were lads I've watched, you know, when they're in the Premier League, regular Premier League players. And I'm playing, I've eventually got the chance to play with them and I never thought that that would ever happen. And, that's the difference, I think. It's just that was just a great, great part of my career, you know. Just, just managing to get to that point and playing with that type of player just was amazing for me. Considering I was at university five years late, five years earlier, do you know what I mean? And messing around in a gym, working, doing programs for old people. <laughs> it's a, it was a mad world. You played some some great players. Obviously, you mentioned a few of them there: Gary McAllister, Michael Doyle. Uh, McSheffrey, a few, a few more. But starting off with Gary McAllister, he, you know, he's a true Sky Blues legend and, and many of our listeners have, have watched him up and down the years as, as a player manager, of course, and, and obviously with us originally. But what was he like to play with as a player? And then secondly, what was he like as a manager? He, he was great. He was probably the main reason why I signed. One was because Coventry was a huge, huge club, do you know what I mean? And just dropped out of the Premier League, etc. But the other was him. I I was a Leicester City fan. I watched him when I was at Filbert Street playing for Leicester. And do you know what I mean? He was a great player there and, and a great fella. I got to meet him. They were looking, like I said, for young, hung, not young, but hungry players that wanted to do well. I was one of those. I was a bit older, obviously, because I'd come into the game late. But he knew that I was desperate to, to do well and play as high as I possibly could. And it was a bit of a coup signing for them as well because I was top goal scorer in the country at the time. And for them to get me, it wasn't breaking the bank with wages or anything like that, but it was a sort of a, a milestone signing sort of thing. So I was delighted to sign and he was one of the reasons. And he was such a cultured player. He just made the game look so easy. You know, in, in tight situations, he'd just be comfortable on the ball. He could hit a pass right on your toe from 50, 60 yards. Do you know what I mean? And, and, he, and, and as a manager... He'd talk to you, he'd give you reasons why you weren't playing and, and I really appreciated that. And he was, he said to me, you know, I, I scored, I think, it stoked my first goal and I was like, right, I'm playing next week. I've done great in the previous two, I'm playing. And he just pulled me on the bus when we went to Sheffield United and he went, I'm looking to get Adibola and Sufo a little partnership. I'm going to stick with them, but you're doing ever so well, blah, blah, blah. And I could take that. I was happy with that. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was right, but you, you know, you, you're close. You, you're going to push one of them out if they don't pick up. And, and I like that in a manager and I took that part of it into when I managed to get a, a manager job as well. 
Talking of legends, um, obviously Gary Mack was a, a true legend. Um, also a big legend that you played with was uh, Big Mo Cognac. Um, obviously the fans loved him. He had a song, didn't he, that the West Terrace always sang. The big Bosnian was a real character. What was he like around the changing room, Andy? He, he was a big... I used to sing the song while I was playing. It was, <laughs> it was that catchy. It was, it was great, good, wasn't it? We loved it. We loved yeah. it. Yeah. But he, he was a big softy, really. He was, he was good, good skipper. Very determined, wanted to win, even in five sides, and uh, and he would he would tackle and he would train properly. I always remember that we used to do a, on a Friday uh, a, a, a possession thing, and if you were the worst player, you you had to sing a song at the end, and the lads voted for you. And he he won it one one week, and he just would not sing a song. And the lads were like, "Oh come on, you got to sing something." So I think he either ended up singing "Happy Birthday" or his national anthem. I can't remember which, but. It was equally as bad, you know, for uh, for either one. But he was just desperate not to. Um, but he he was a, a great guy, a good leader for me to go and and see somebody work and be so professional as he was. He was chiselled. He had a great physique and worked really hard. And and he was one that I aspired to be like off the pitch. You know, not necessarily on it because of different positions, but definitely off it. He 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 set the standards. Was he a talker? Like at the back, you know, at the centre half, or was he more of a led by example? Yeah, he was more uh, throw your body on the line. You yeah. know, he loved that last ditch tackle, that type. Shozel was more the the talker because he just organised people around him. Yeah, and made his life a lot lot easier for himself by utilising other people that maybe had a bit more legs than he did at that time in his career. But certainly, Mo was more of a. I'll show by example and, and I'll I'll be the one that blocks a, a shot or I'll put my body on the line because I expect that off you as well. Yeah, it's a decent combination when you've got a centre-half that talks and then you've got the other one that, that shows by example, isn't it? That's quite a nice combination there of Shawsy and, and, and Big Mo. That's right. And, and also, you know, we had Callum Davenport come in as well that was that was yeah. hitting the headlines at the time and, and he to learn off two centre-halves like that and Stan coming in as well. He, he was, was pretty cultured, wasn't he, Callum? Pretty cultured yeah. defender, oh, wasn't he? lovely on the ball. Just, mm. He just looked at ease with the game, had pace to burn. You know, longest legs ever to just nick a ball away when you're trying to get past him, rash in training. So he had to learn off Shozer and Stan and Mo. It, he must have been in, in Dreamland because he certainly took attributes of all of them and put them into his game and it showed when he, when he got his million-pound move, you know. Yeah, definitely. Just going back to Big Mo, uh, I think he... He fought in the Bosnian War in the eight months for eight months. Did he? Did he mention that at all or not? <laughs> it came up every now and again, you know, when we, lads are moaning about training conditions and stuff. He'd throw the odd one where you know you've, you've not been to a war or anything, you just get yourself lucky or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I went to a Legends Day a couple of years back or last year, and he was meant to be there, but the game got changed. I think for some reason. Yeah, I, I was gutted because I, I missed him and he, he wasn't able to make the. The other Legends Day, but uh, it would be great to catch up with him because uh, no, he was a really, really good guy. Yeah, I remember that. He was called off, wasn't he? I think you no, know, actually didn't. The, he, he actually came to Coventry, didn't he? That's he right, actually, he came. But yeah, no and then he was called off, wasn't it? Which was yeah. an absolute yeah nightmare. So I'm I think sure all... the fans as well would have loved to have. I've yeah, seen him again and, and giving him the applause that he deserved. I remember posting on the Twitter page because I think he went to like the shop or a shop in Coventry, and I think they were made up seeing him and like. He was just saying how disappointed because I think he brought his lad with him as well, didn't That's he? That's right, so, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. It's, yeah, really disappointing that for Big Mo. But hopefully in the future, if we get back to the Rico, 
we can have a real, real fun day, can't we, Andy? I'm sure. He, I'm sure he will love to come back. He, um, and also, like the fans, as like I said, would love to see him and and say a thank you because he, he did did quite a lot for the for the club. Yeah, of course, and, and he, he also played obviously in the last game ever at Highfield Road, obviously for the opposition. But that day, he just got an absolutely amazing reception. I mean, you, you know, it was as if he was on our own our own side that day. Another player that always gets a, a really good reception at Coventry, and I think always will, is is Michael Doyle. He's always been spoken as a sort of true professional. Um, he works really hard on the training pitch, as hard as he does on on the on the actual pitch, Andy. But what memories do you have as, of him as a player? Well, well, I um, I lived with him for a month in pre-season, my first pre-season when I came and signed for them because he had just bought a house um, and in Leamington, I think it was, and he was living in it on him on his own. Uh, I think he had a girlfriend back in Ireland or whatever, and and he. I was looking for somewhere to move down because I was, I'd moved down from Wrexham and it was a bit of a trek to get in from where my mum and dad lived and he was like, well, just come and kick with me. So I stayed with him for a month. And what a what a gent, what a great lad off the pitch, but a completely different character on it, as you've, you've probably seen. But um, just so passionate, so driven to do well and just set standards that that are so high and doesn't let people around him drop below it and doesn't let people... And I, I, I sort of liken him and imagine him to be similar to a Roy Keane where just he sets the bar, he trains at the, that same tempo every day and doesn't let anybody step off it. And and he's, and he's had an unbelievable career. I think he's just hit 800 games uh, for in his career, which is a, a brilliant milestone. And he's still going and he's still way, way fitter than everybody else because... That's what set him aside from everybody else was he was just so fit. It was it was frightening. Nobody could get near him. I think we put out on the actual page today, we had an old uh, Michael Dool quote, didn't we, um, Grizo, about him, about hydrating, keeping yourself hydrated. That's his secret, Andy, is water drinking. <laughs> yeah, he, ha- he had a, a, a two, four-litre bottle with him. You you wouldn't ever catch it without it. He would walk around with it and just be he'd be constantly, constantly drinking. And I'm like... Do you not go to the toilet all the time? You know what I mean? Like, are you not all? And he's like, your body gets used to it. Do you know what I mean? And and it is. He but very rarely injured as well. And plays games and just constantly plays games. And he hasn't missed a day's training at Notts County this year. And and he's thirty seven. And sometimes at that age you can go. You know, I'll just have a day. You know, to myself just to do my own thing. But he's just relentless. And he's definitely he's got so many more years in if he wanted to. And just kept those same standards right the way through his career. Yeah, he has, totally. But going back to, obviously, the start of your Sky Blues career, um, obviously you got off to a great start, scoring nine in 19. Um, and then you got seemed to be got shifted out wide a little bit, obviously, which was a bit weird to us fans, because um, obviously doing so well at the middle. Have you played there wide before at Wrexham, or was it a decision between you and the gaffer? What, how did that come about, Andy? I think it was more the... I just I, I was happy to play anywhere. Let's put it that way. I would I would have done anything. I would have played right back. I'd have played in goal. Whatever I needed to do just to play because that's the way I used to play the game. Which was just I just wanted to play. And so they said I think they just enjoyed having as many strikers as they they could on the on the pitch and they might get a goal from. Uh, but yeah, I, I I didn't really like it. It wasn't really me. I was more of a tap it in. You know what I mean? I've scored hundred odd goals in my career and. A handful have been outside the box. Do you know what I mean? It, I was always a box player and one that would just tap a rebound in or whatever. 
Uh, and I never really took to the position, but I'd play it because I was playing, do you know what I mean? And I wasn't playing up front. They had, they had other players that they preferred up there. And so I'd play because just to get a game. And I did okay. And they knew that I was fairly reliable. They knew I'd run about. They knew I'd try hard. And I suppose that's why they, they, they chose me. But uh, I don't think I ever shown my true value, I suppose, to the team when I was playing out there. But I suppose I fitted a, a position that, and I'd do all, all right. So that's why they moved me. I was fairly reliable, I suppose. Yeah, I think you spoke, one point you made there was about the work rate. And I remember your work rate being absolutely tireless. And, and I think you're absolutely spot on. That's possibly why, isn't it, that you want a player when it's on that that wide. And I think going back even then, it felt there was more traditional. Now now you sort of, everyone's all about wing backs, aren't they? Whereas I think perhaps back then, I think the formation we were playing was more sort of his traditional standard uh, 4-4-2, if you like. Um, but you need people that are going to be able to track back and, and work hard in that position. And I think at the time, like you mentioned, Adi Bola and, and Sufo, they, they probably weren't going to do those yards. So, um, no, so, and that's right. And they, yeah, and they had players that, that would play there. And I think they just liked having another striker on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? It looked, they, they, they might get a goal from. And and I was never going to be a 9 out of 10. I always felt I was never going to be that out there. But I was I was I I could always be a seven do you know what I mean and I'd never be a six because I'd always run about and so half the job of that is just going up and down and being in a position and helping the team and and I felt I could I, I could do that and I would do that if I wasn't going to play up there I'd rather play right mid than, than not, not play at all and you know and maybe looking back maybe I should have been a little bit more selfish and, and said no I want to play up front but I might not have ever, I might not have played again do you know what I mean for commentary and so yeah. you, do, you, you do what you have to do to, to get in the team and you hope that at some point that you get a go up there and and score or, or do what. But I do, you know, looking back, I do think it might have just taken a bit away from my confidence because I was all about goals pretty much and I wasn't scoring when I was out there. So it might have and just... And it can become frustrating, can't it, when you're you're used to being in the box and you're trying to, you know, bang them in and you've got that really strong record like like you did, like you say, and then you, you're running around trying to... You're sort, sort of almost doing all the, the hard yards, running around, hoping that something will come your way. But, it, yeah, I, I completely understand that. Yeah, and, and you're, um, you're in a position there where you're... If the ball's on the opposite side, if I run and leg it and try and get in the box to score, which I should do, then I've got to leg it back if it doesn't. Yeah. And there's a bit in your mind that, well, I'll just save myself a little bit. I won't make the box, but I'll be in position to help the team defensively. You know, and that takes away so much of my game, which is just being in the box and being a nuisance. And maybe yeah. some, you know, that's just, it just dented my confidence a bit of, because if you're scoring goals, you just feel great. The ball's going to drop to you. And then you just start to doubt yourself a little bit. And especially jumping up from a league two to a, to a championship team, you know, the doubts start to come in that, oh, maybe I'm not quite as good as I thought I was and I'm not going to bounce on again and, and play. I'm not this good. And they just all start to float about in your head. And yeah, I, I, need, I needed to be fully at it, really, to make that grade, if you like. Eric Black, you know, a manager that was a fan's favourite, took over as caretaker and a, a lot of people thought that he was going to um, actually kick on and, and be the actual main the main man. But he was replaced by Peter Reid. Was, was that quite a shock to the dressing room when that happened? Yeah, definitely. What a great guy, first and foremost. Brilliant, brilliant coach. Helped me no end with my finishing, worked on my runs, etc. Because I was, a f even though I'd had a few years, I'd scored a 
lot of goals. I was fed. I was just wanting, like a sponge, I just wanted to be taught how to score more and where to be and what to do. And he was great. He put on sessions for finishing and where to move and stuff like that. And he was brilliant for me. And a great guy. Great banter. Good fun to be around on the training ground. Always made the sessions good fun. And then it fell in his lap when, when Gary sadly had to leave. And we we did okay. Do you know what I mean? We were, we were okay. The results were good. And we just thought, that lap, you know, he'll get it. He'll get it because the results have been good. And and then I think it was either one game or two games before the end of the season. Bang. He, he just, his face obviously didn't fit because I think we were going to the Rico, were we, the season after? And I think he wanted, uh, they wanted a bigger name or a bigger face to take us across into the Rico and, Sadly, he, he didn't get the job when, I, I think, as a player and as a, as a football person, I, I thought he thoroughly deserved a chance at it. Yeah, exactly. And at the time, like you say, the results were really going his way and, and for the team. And when that when that happens, obviously, all the, all the squad get behind them and think, well, you know, a lot of this is to do down to the manager. And, and I think a lot of us was really surprised when, when he did exit. But I think you made a really good point there. I think the club wanted to make a bit of a statement. Peter Reid had been some really big clubs, but he just lasted eight months. What was it like to play under Peter Reid? Yeah, he, well, he just came in for the last game. Just go and play. Do you know what I mean? Good players go and play, and um, we did. We did all right. And then pre-season, uh, it could have been harder pre-season. But again, he was more. We'll get good players in, and good players win football matches. That was sort of his remit to it. And he had a lot of contacts. I found him great. I found Inchi really, really good as well. Very similar to Eric Black, coaching wise. Good fun to be around. You could listen for hours and hours to his stories. You know, we went to Germany on pre-season tour and just sat in a bar with a pint. It was it was just heaven for me, you know, hearing stories of Everton, etc., of, of their past glory years was was just brilliant for me. But I like Peter Reid, um, and he had a, he'd assembled a, a good squad, Tim Sherwood, um, coming in, and we were doing all right to start the first 10 games and so, and I thought we were going, we were going well, and, and I was playing. A few lads didn't really like him too much he said they were different with him when they weren't when they weren't in the side he was different when you're playing and when you weren't um but I was playing so I never really saw that he was great with me he played me on the right which I didn't really like but he kept talking kept saying you're doing great for me you're running you know keep going doing a great for the job for the team etc and that was that was good enough for me but I think a big turning point in in his managerial career at Coventry was when Cal got sold to West Ham. I think that really threw a spanner in the works. He was playing brilliantly. I'm sure he was promised the money to to reinvest in the side. He was talking about Malky Mackay and a couple of others coming in with the money to strengthen not just one player but two or three. He ended up getting Stern John in, and um, and that was it. And I think ever ever from that the team just wasn't quite the same, especially defensively, because Cal was such a big vo- um, to lose for, for the squad. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, Peter Reid, was he a bit of a, a half-time if the team wasn't doing it, a full-time if you've lost? Was he a bit of a, a tea-thrower, teacup-thrower? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if he had mellowed a little bit, um, but if you if you were performing, I, I expect a bit of a, a rollicking off any manager, whether it's Peter Reid or... Mickey Adams or whoever, um, I'd expect to be told, whether it's shouted right in your face or, or just told in no uncertain terms, then then I'd expect to be told. But And he was no difference. Um, but he was a big, like I said, a big advocate for, we've just got better players than them. You know, you, you're creating a great team changing room, a good environment to be in. And uh, and he he had that. It was really good, really good team spirit. And sadly, I just think that 
I don't know if he lost his his belief or because I'm sure he thought, and I've I've listened to his book. Um, he was like, I really felt that we could do something at Coventry very similar yeah. to like he did at Sunderland, and that just really put the buffers on what he was trying to do. And um, when you sell a big hitter like like Cal and don't rip the squad, just look at that and go, that's you know what's going on here. Do you know what I mean? We're obviously a selling club. We're not. A, we're not. Uh, we're not really pushing on like you're saying, and just doubts start to be put in players' heads. So. I think that hit him more as well because he was like, well, they're not really having a go like they said they were. So, again, it, I think he only lasted eight months, didn't he, like you said? Yeah, he did. He came across, he, Peter Reid comes across as well, a bit like Kevin Keegan in a sense that he tries and brings good players in and obviously tries to outplay play, uh, teams on, on the pitch with better players, like you said. Also, but I think if, if then he doesn't get the financial backing, then I think maybe he loses interest quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, we went to Forest and we won four two at Forest. And mm. after the game, he was buzzing because I, I think he could see we're creating something here. We're moving the team in the right direction. You know, Tim Sherwood was in, yeah. Stan was in. You know, we had some really experienced players that had real ability, and we had some real good young legs around them as well. So I think he saw that and going, I've got something here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and then that it just throws a big spanner in the works and the belief and, and his hunger to do well maybe just waned a little bit off the back of that. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Moving on to, obviously, we just discussed a few big characters like Tim Sherwood, like you said, Stephen Hughes. You've played with quite a lot, Doyle, etc. Just to give us a little insight into the dressing room, Andy, who was the uh, biggest joker in your days at Coventry City? When I first went, uh, McSheffrey, Shearer, Scott Shearer was always messing about. PD, all the younger ones were always around. It always causing a bit of havoc. Um, I always remember remember Peggy Arfex had the goalie. He he come in a dream. Yeah, he was at Leicester. <laughs> That's right. And Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable career. He didn't hardly play for, for Cov, but he come to training in a ridiculously day glow t shirt thing <laughs> that was oh it was horrendous. I've got and, a story you know, about Peggy Arfex. I've <laughs> got right. a story about him because obviously he was uh, living in Leicester, and I was I was I was uh, born in Leicester, and yeah. I used to do um, when I was younger. I used to do a paper round, and he used to um, live near the newsagents near me, and it was like in a in a small bungalow, and I used to like deliver his paper, and like I always thought to myself. He's a footballer for like Leicester playing in the Premier League and he's living in a bungalow near a news agent. So it really <laughs> never made sense to me, that Andy. So it's a bit yeah, weird. I think he was probably saving his money up. Um, Maybe. Yeah, but he's had a, he had a great career. But he had this T-shirt and that was his gear for the day. And I'm like, all the lads are like, oh God. So anyway, we've gone out and it's a Friday. So we've all gone out to train and it was yellow jersey day. Anyway, one of the lads has come running out to train in it. Uh, they put it on as, a, as like the yellow jersey, giving it out to one of the lads. Oh, he's <laughs> gone absolutely mental. Chased him around the, the training ground and that. I'm sure it was McSheffrey. I'm sure he was around around it. But uh, yeah, they were always very mischievous and, and just messing about. And they, they were a little cohort, Doyler and Graham Barrett. They were all like a five or six when we first were around there. So they were the ones that were the, the jokers and, and trying to do stupid stuff, I suppose. Who trained the hardest and who and who was the laziest in training? It's okay, Andy. No, I don't think they'll be listening at the minute. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So. although they're all amazing trainers. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> no, hardest hardest trainer. You know, I think the standards were, were really really high. Definitely, Doyler was top draw. Wingy was was top draw at it. Trainer, even though you know, even sometimes when you weren't having the greatest of days, you, they were still bang at it all the time. Certainly, Stephen Hughes was one that would potentially toss a training session off now and again if if he wasn't really feeling great or he thought that we were in when we shouldn't have been or whatever. He was certainly one that was able to do that. Shock. But, uh, <laughs> <Not> well. <laughs> yeah, but he, he what a player he was, by the way. Um, yeah, when he got going. But yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't think you can look much further than than Doyle really for being at it constantly uh, on the training pitch. And uh, another one for you, Andy, this one. Um, so I actually remember, uh, as sad as it was, I remember queuing up for the players to come in across the car park from Highfield Road. And David Pipe, don't know if you remember Pipey, oh, he, uh, yeah. he turned up in um, what could only be described as a car that you'd see on the front page of Max Power. It was a Ford Focus with like a big old iron board on the back. It was like a black Ford Focus. That was obviously a proper criminal sort of car when I think back to it now. But was there anyone that was a bit of a show off and who had the sort of flashiest motor? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I, uh, I have to say that when I first signed, I went and did the bleep test in pre-season a week before or two weeks before the season. And it was me and Shoza, um and John Eustace. What levels? What levels? Did, well, you had to get, get to twelve point five or something like that, or you were in a week before everybody else came back. Um, and I'll always remember Shoza, steady lad, steady lad. We don't want to go over twelve point five. Just get there because they're going to do it again. You know, experience tells us they're going to do it again. So don't go over twelve. Get to twelve point five. Get out, and then you can prove that you're fitter in a month's time when you redo it and you can go at thirteen. Um, but John Eustace was in a, I think it was a golf, battered old golf. Shows me like, yeah, just put some miles on it. Not bothered about having a great car. Just put some miles on this car. He doesn't want to lose money on the car. So he would be the one that's not that bothered. Uh, unfortunately, he left straight before the season started. So I never got a chance to, to really know John or train with him. I did get to meet him as a manager when he was at, um, when he was at Kidderminster and I was at Tamworth. But no, he's a fabulous guy as well. But uh, yeah, he was probably the least flashy. Most flashy, I'd have to go Don Hutchinson. <laughs> um, lived in London, travelled up daily in a Bentley uh, about eight miles to the gallon. Knew, you know, key in the pocket, didn't have to open the door when you walked near it. It opened it and all that sort of malarkey. For that era, was unbelievable. So he was probably the flashiest out of the... Uh, out of the group, I'm afraid. Sorry, Don. Oh, well, <laughs> so I currently do London on on well, not in a Bentley on the train, but that's that's a fair trip, isn't it? Every day to be to be doing that. Fair, um, yeah, he was up and down, and to be fair, Mickey Adams was was good with him. He gave him a day here if needed, you know, if he'd played or whatever, so that he, he looked after his older statesmen, like Dennis Wise, exactly the same. Um, but yeah, he, when he travelled up in that, he was like, I mean, he's having to fill it up twice, I think, on the way on the way up to, to, to get to training and back. You mentioned Dennis Wise. What was he like as a character? Well, I think Doyle has spoke about him as well, about being a, a real big influence on him when he was young at Coventry. Yeah, I was more in and out of the team when, when he came. I was, I think I've probably got the most amount of sub-appearances for Coventry, actually, um, because I was on the bench so much but he was another one you know that I used to watch in the Premier League 
uh, match of the day all the time. Him, Don Hutchinson, you know, they were fantastic players. And, and to have them at a club and see them work daily, they still haven't lost that desire to do well. Might have lost a little bit of legs, but that desire to do well, that will to win. And Dennis Wise comes in as probably a, a sitting midfielder from from Chelsea days and Leicester and stuff and ends up scoring five or six ridiculous overhead kick at Hull. Um, yeah, I remember and, and that one become, at Hull. Yeah. yeah. And, and becoming like this player that just scored goals. And I know he was only there a short while. He certainly made a big impression on, on the fans for one and the, and the players in the dressing room. And everybody had his, their preconceived ideas of what he was like because he was coming on off the incident at Leicester. Um, uh, whatever happened there. And... You know, you think, oh, what's he like? But but he was fantastic, great guy, good to be around, good fun, and, and, and a solid, solid professional. You know, and I'm sat I'm sat on a table going to an away game with uh, Steve Staunton, Don Hutchinson, and Dennis Wise, and I'm like, what what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and, and they're talking about the clubs they've been at and the wages that we're on and the contracts that they've got. And I'm like, I, I need to get, I need to move because <laughs> I am not in, you know, it's a different stratosphere that they were playing at, but, but really good insight in, into the game and, and their knowledge. You could just, you could just learn off them. Coming back to uh, obviously uh, on being on the same coach as a couple of, uh, you know, a few free people have had experience on away days. Um, who did you used to room with Andy? Did, was that, who did you choose it or was it the gaffer's choice? How did that come about? No, that that was it was chosen for you. They sort of they knew who you were mates with, really. First year, I was Stephen Warnock for a year. Tiger Woods golf <laughs> got got battered quite a bit uh, again on the PlayStation. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it used to go with us and straight in playing eighteen holes wherever. Yeah, that was that was the thing at the time. Um, but he was good. He was younger than me, but was on loan from from Liverpool. And what career he's turned out to to have off the back of that. And again, a very good player and a, and a nice lad as well. And then probably the second year, I was one that always got put with somebody else if there was an outlier. I was fairly amicable. I got on with everybody, and they thought that was a really good trait of mine. Especially some of the players thought you can go to any group in the in if there's a not a clique, but you know that there's castles or whatever. He said you can go bounce between any of them and have a conversation and they're not bothered, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're quite happy to have you and engage with you, which I felt was quite a good thing for me to, to be able to do. Um, but then probably the second year was was Klaus Jorgensen, who, who's probably my, my best mate in football, or one of them. And uh, we just had some some great times. We got on like a house on fire. Wife's got a house on like a house on fire. And uh, it was good because we, we, we think about the game the same. We've coached together since football. We've been at Blackpool together. Um, and it just was a, it was a good pairing, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we, got on, we got on brilliantly. You mentioned a couple of there. Is there. Was there anyone that in the team that people would say like notorious that they didn't want to kind of room with? Like a notorious snorer? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I, um, not that I can remember. You obviously wanted to be put with people that you you got on with, you had something in common. But even if you were in a a room with, you know, I got put in with goalies, um, Clayton Ince, you know, people like that that I would never really socialise with or whatever. But they would go and do their own thing. They would go and be with their friends when you were down at the pre-match meal or whatever. And you would only really jump into the room to go to sleep. So it wasn't really that that big a deal. Um, but I can't remember being put with anybody that I was I was really not 
keen on going with a second time, I'll put it that way. And if you did, you just kept him up all night while you're on Tiger Woods, I guess. <laughs> That's right, I'd annoy him with that, and they would want to go with me anyway. <laughs> Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Do you uh, still look out for the Sky Blues results now, Andy? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I look out for all the, the past teams that I've I've had, unfortunately. <laughs> Barry have, have gone to the, the war, unfortunately. So um, I've only got a few to look out for. But yeah, Wrexham... Uh, Blackpool, Coventry, they're, they're all certainly teams I look out for and blimey, how well are they doing now? Um, Coventry, you know, whatever's gone on off the pitch with regards to grounds and owners and all that sort of stuff, how they've managed to get the the football side heading in the direction and the juggernaut it is at the moment uh, is testament to one, the players and two, the management and staff because it's not not an easy task by no mean feat with everything else going on around them, but they seem to have created this bubble of you know whatever's going on, it doesn't matter. We'll we'll do what our jobs are, and and they're they're flying and they look really good for for having a crack at getting up. Yeah, moving on to the obviously you just mentioned uh, Mark Robbins as a manager yourself, you've had some great times with Wrexham. What do you think of the job that uh, Mark Robbins is doing? Well. He, it, like I said, you know, when I when I was at Wrexham, when I took over, the fans were not having the owner. Um, the fans wanted to buy it; they wanted fans owned. Um, all the takeover was was going on while I was sort of new to the job. But we ended up being able to create this bubble that we were in to go. You know, it's got nothing to do with their, us. We can't affect that. But what it can affect is this group and. And we had a really good group, and and that looks what like exactly what Mark Robbins has done with the with the Coventry squad. He's, he's kept it all in house. He's just cracked on with the football. He's certainly picked a player out when um, when they've come. They've, they've still sold players on to better, bigger and better things, but continued doing really well and winning games. And that is that is not easy at all. They've just got this momentum at the moment of uh, of the ball rolling in the right direction, and everybody wanting to play, and the players that he puts in seem to do equally if not better than the ones that were in the week before and they're scoring goals freely and, and they're not going in at the other end and that's quite a good mix when, when you're looking to try and get out of the league Yeah, exactly right and and yeah, defensively I think they've been brilliant this season so far and and obviously yeah, at the top we're scoring enough goals to, to be able to get the points and, and get the wins um, if we had to sort of say you had to bring a five-a-side squad with you including yourself who would obviously play up front but if you had to have a goalkeeper yeah. <laughs> but if you had a goalkeeper, a defender, and a midfielder, and another striker, who who would they be from your time at Coventry? That's uh, uh, trying to wrap my brains today. If I've got a question like that, um, <laughs> it was it's really hard. Do you know what I mean? Because goalkeepers, I never felt that we really had a, a settled one. There wasn't one that we had there. We always seemed to go a little bit younger, and uh, we had like Luke Steele and Scott Shearer. Uh, Andy Marshall, you know, I probably think probably the best one I think was sadly Martin Fuller. Um, I thought he was really, really good, uh, really driven. Again, trained really hard, hated the ball going in his net. Uh, and again, 
went on to do really, really well in his career. And I thought he was a very, very good keeper. Um, so he, he would probably be my goalie, sadly passed, um, but a real true gent as well. And um, yeah, sadly missed, I suppose. In in defence, you know, I'm, I'm really good friends with Shozer, so I think he'd be uh, devastated if I didn't put him in. But um, I would say Shozer, and then the, probably the best I played with was Callum Davenport uh, while, while I was at Cov. I just thought he was, he had everything. He, had, he was good on the ball, he had pace, he could hit long balls, he could defend, he had a great, he was tall, great stature, and I just thought he had everything. And, you know, sadly for him, his career didn't pan out yeah. the way he thought. It didn't work out for him, did it? I don't know if it was down to off-the-field stuff or injuries, a bit of a mixture of both maybe, Andy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but a great signing for a million pounds, played for West Ham, you know, and you could just see him getting better and better, and then I think, yeah, more off-field than on. Um, caused caused him to end up having to retire, I think. But he certainly had everything. And again, not the brightest of characters off the pitch, but, but football brain, football mentality, training hard. You know what I mean? He, he, he had the lot. And um, yeah, a really, really good player. So probably those two um, at the back. You spoke I, about Doyle, obviously, in, in the middle of the park. has has been solid... Um you know, throughout his Coventry career. But yeah, midfielders, is there is there anyone else that can replace Doyler in that, that middle section? Yeah, I I thought Husey, um, when he was fit and bothered and wanted to do well, I thought he was a tremendous player. Took the ball in any 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 position, could play long passes, short passes, knew what was always going on around him. Uh and for that one season I think he was a real leader in the changing rooms lads followed and I thought he did really really well and when he was fit you know he obviously had his injury problems and he had issues going on when he signed probably a longer deal but um, yeah I thought he was very cultured as was uh, Saf you know I went into just about to mention him Saf (laughs) yeah because he was another one that was he won the African Nations didn't he he did Morocco I think he did and he brought his medal back and he was another yeah. one that you just couldn't get the ball off him. From where I'd come in League Two, you know, to the midfielders, who we had some decent ones, at, you know, Daz Ferguson, you know, Jim Whitley. We had some good players when I was at Wrexham, but going up to him, the standards were just so much higher. And You went tight, he'd flip the ball around the corner and, and see you later. If you stayed off him, he'd just turn on it and find a pass. And he just seemed to have eyes in the back of his head and, he was a stickler for tackling as well. He was a hard one. And he just played the position, read the game really well. So again, those sort those three there, that what a three that would be in, in the midfield to have, you know. I I'd I'd take that, I think. Yeah, you'd win a few games down the old goals, Astro Terrace, wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. in. That's right, yeah. And then I up front, we had, you know, well, Garrett McSheffrey was right out of it when I went. They were looking to get rid of him. Same with Julian Jochin, you know, and I think both of them turned out, you know, six months later to be starting in the first team and a big part of Coventry for the next year or two because they were both fantastic players, quick. They weren't the biggest, but they were tidy with the ball. Jockey, Joe Jim, I think he's one of the best I've played with. Just He just scored goals in training, all types of goals. He was electric pace, you know, very, very quiet, didn't get involved in a lot of stuff around the... The club obviously was on good wages, so they were looking to try and get him out, but ended up bringing him back in. And I think he wavered 
appearance fees to get back in playing and scored some great goals. Ended up, you know, up there, top goal scorer with McSheffrey. But two players that just had so much ability, it was it was frightening. It was great to work with them. Talking of uh, Joe Chimandi, um, I used to play in goal, not a, a like a semi-professional level. And obviously, Joe Chim's from the Leicester area, isn't he? So, That's right. Um, yeah. And I remember playing a Leicester Legends team. Uh, they had like people like Muzzy, is it? And Joe Chim was playing up front at the time. And boy, he could shoot and boy, he could finish. I, I knew what I was in a game after that. I think he scored about two or three past me, but I was pretty happy with that, to be honest with you, mate. Yeah, take that. Yeah. He, he would he would like, it'd be in a five-a-side, it'd be 10s, 13s he'd be scoring. Like yeah. all sorts of like tap-ins. He'd just nip, you know, get the ball, shift it, bang, goal. And you'd be, what? What's go- when did it happen? And just, and I'd, I'd score one or two, you know, and I'd be made up with scoring one or two. And he's like, it's just, it just was easy to him. Just and, a, uh, he's another one that just didn't reach his potential, did he? No, that's right. And uh, listen, he had a stellar career. Do you know what I yeah. mean? He, he, Premier League and all that, Leicester, Leeds, all that. Cov, Villa. Villa, yeah, of course. Um, but, you you know, for his ability, you, you expected mm. him to be, and probably when he was 17, 18, and I was watching him as a, as a player at Leicester, you thought, blimey, he's going to be—he's going to rule the world. This lad, do you know what yeah. I mean? Because he had everything. The pace was was frightening, but yeah, didn't really didn't really hit those those heights. And and Andy, obviously, once you uh, at the end of your career at Coventry, you went on to Blackpool. Uh, you moved there quite early on in in the season. Absolutely rocketed goals in uh, for Blackpool in that that season when you first went. What was that that transition like? And it was obviously you know a move that you it was obviously high in confidence once once you made that move yeah yeah it was um it was weird because I was the fittest I'd ever been I knew Mickey Adams was was hard he was a stickler he'd proven that the year before so I was going into pre-season knowing that it's going to be really hard because Mickey's teams were fit that was that was the benchmark was fit that was the least he would expect was he would be probably run about and I, I quite enjoyed that so I got really fit over the summer and I, and I went into pre-season and I was fit. We went out to America, I think we did, uh, on pre-season. And I had a, a good pre-season. I was scoring goals. And I thought that this is this is half, you know, I've got half a chance here of being around it. Uh, it brought a couple of players in, but I still thought I was going to be in and around it. And then come the first game of the season, I wasn't in the, I don't think I was in the 18 or I wasn't in the 16. I might have been 17th man. And then that, that happened for the first three games and I, was, I wasn't involved. And and I just, and I wasn't a young player, you know what I mean. I was probably in my career terms, but I wasn't a really young twenty-year-old. I was twenty-eight, sure, yeah. twenty-nine now, and I just wanted to play. I didn't want. I wanted to tell if I ever had a lad, you know what I mean, or a, so I, I wanted to be able to say, oh, "I've played games, whatever level I've played some games," and and that's all I wanted to do. And I, I went and knocked his door and I just said, you know, I want to know if I'm playing and what, what the chant, you know, and stuff. And he, he just said, you know, listen, if you want to go, you can go. If you want to stay, you can stay. Your chances are going to be limited, but you're not a big earner. You're not going to hit the wage bill. You know, I don't want you out. You, you don't kick up a fuss. You get on with it. It's up to you sort of thing. And he said, I've had a phone call off, off Blackpool. They want you to go up and see him. Would you be interested? And funnily enough, I'd played in a pre-season game against Rugby Town in a one of those pre-season games that you don't really want to be involved in, but you have to play in. And the scout had left. I found out since the scout left after 10 minutes and said, just take him a rubbish game. 
not a, an ideal opportunity to showcase, but he just saw enough in 10 minutes to say, yeah, great attitude, we'll take him. And so I went to speak to Simon Grayson at the time. Um, they'd lost the first three games, but had a Latvian owner coming in to help um, try and push them on. And he sold the dream a little bit to me. And I knew I wasn't going to play that much at, at Coventry and I didn't really want to leave, but for my career, I, I felt I had to. So from being around it on the Saturday, I think by the following Monday, I'd, I'd signed for Blackpool and I was in a hotel and I'd just had my, my, my lad probably four months earlier. So it was back home to the missus. She was not too uh, too happy. Uh, I'm signing for Blackpool. I'll see you, <laughs> see you on Wednesday sort of thing. Um, but that, that's football and that's what happens. Yeah, of course. You know, and, yeah. you know people don't see that. Uh, you know, they think it's all hunky-dory. But, yeah, my, my missus was left at home with a, a three-month-old and I'm living in a hotel for a week and, and seeing her on a Sunday and for, for eight weeks before we could get a house up, up in Preston and, and get moved up there and... But yeah, again, you said the talk about the transition, but I was going from not really playing, had a good pre-season to going up there and you really want to hit the ground running, a bit like I did at Cov, start scoring goals and I didn't score for for eight games. I was I, I started the first five that I went there, didn't score, then I came out of the team and I'm in the hotel going, what have I done? Do you know what I mean? I'm not even playing here. I can't get a game here and I've moved my family and all that sort of thing that goes through your head. We didn't. Yeah, of course, a lot of sacrifices. Like you said about the Blackpool, you know, people don't often think about that, but the sacrifices that players make to move around the country, obviously to pursue playing, like you say. That's right. And just to get games and, and they, they, it was a good contract, a two-year contract, and I thought it was great. I, I had to drop down a league, but maybe that was better for me. They wanted to get promotions, so great. We'll be pushing at the right end. And we won one game in the first 11 and, and I didn't score. And I'm like, oh my, what have I done? Do you know what I mean? And doubts go through your head if it's right. But I, I, then Klaus moved up as well, um, which helped. Um, and yeah, we just, we sort of turned a corner. We got beat at Carlisle 2-1 and we had 30 minutes where we absolutely destroyed them. And I got on for that last half an hour and we were brilliant. But we just couldn't get an equaliser. And then... I started the next game and we won it and I scored. And it, the, the snowball effect from that, we ended up you know, going up at Wembley, which turned out to be an unbelievable move in the end. Do you know what I mean? A year down the line. But yeah, at the yeah. start, it was doubts go through your head. But by the end of it, it turned out to be one of the best moves I'd ever made. Moving on to your... Um, and I managing... scored against Cov as well. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, don't mention that. Either. I'm not... I'm going to cut you off now. No, I'm joking. It was going, it was going so well that I had to edit nothing. And then... <laughs> oh, mate. Yeah, that was because that was just one of those, you know, you get drawn out against the team that you've just moved from two yeah. months before and whatever. And, and I just started in the team. I just started scoring, going back, seeing all the same players, all the same people. And I was just desperate to do well. Do you know what I mean? Because I wanted to... I ended up coming off injured, but I I just wanted to do well and sort of not prove a point because I did want to prove a point to the manager that I, I, I felt that I was good enough to play at Coventry, but it wasn't to be. But just to sort of ram it down his throat, that would have been nice, do you know what I mean? And uh, the crowd were ridiculous because I scored. and It was a, a, a little glancing header from an in-swinging free kick and uh, it's just gone in the far corner. We've ended up getting beat 3-1. But I've managed to score, and the crowd have given me a, like a standing ovation. 
when I've scored for the opposition, which was really, really weird, um, but very, very much appreciated. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. I, I was. That's really interesting. Like not interested here. You know, I don't expect anyone to get a, a dog's abuse, and um, there will be players down the line that probably have. But and I'm and you know, and I think everyone knows that you know players move on and, and and things. But that's yeah, that's incredible. But it just goes to show, doesn't it, the the impact that you made. I mean, I I, I remember standing on the terraces watching your goals and. And yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it, what impact you made? And I think you always worked hard. And and fans like that type of player, don't they? If if someone's going to put their sort of heart and soul into it, fans do get behind players that really, really work hard and want to perform for the team. Yeah, and and I think that that came from. Um, I used to love running about anyway, being a pest. My 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 one of my heroes was was Dean Saunders. Do you know what I mean? I ended up get to play. I get he managed me at, at Wrexham, so I got to to be managed by one of my heroes uh Paul Dickoff as again I got to play with him at Blackpool but he was another one that I looked at that I felt like was very similar to the way I played yeah he probably wouldn't have got the ovation (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he does anywhere apart from Man City does it but what what a character he was but yeah that's another story but um yeah it 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 was Joey Jones really uh ex-Liverpool legend uh, and a Wrexham legend who, when I first went to Wrexham, was this, you know, very naive kid who just got a foot in the door. I was playing in his reserve team, and he was like, "One, you never know who's watching, so any game you play and play it like it's, it's your last." And also, my belief was that if if I if I'm stood at, at Highfield Road up front for Coventry City, and I I walked over to somebody in the stand who had paid to watch, and I gave them the shirt, they might be the worst player ever. But they would leg it around and do as much as they could to enjoy and be in that experience. And they'd try their hardest. And I felt that if I did that, then that was that was it was good enough for the fans. I think they see that and they see that if you try hard, I never professed to be the best player. I never was the best player by a long, long stretch. Technically, I wasn't particularly great, but I was a pest and I could run and I tried my hardest every game I played. And I think the fans sort of could relate to that a little bit. Yeah, 100%, Andy. Um, a lot of Premier League players these days who are on a lot of money could learn a lot from you. Um, that insight of what your mindset is brilliant and great to hear from, especially your Sky Blue fans. And we obviously watch the team now at League One level and and compared to the Premier League, some of the attitudes is just completely different. And the Premier League, some of the players are just... If they lose away from home, they won't even go and clap the fans. I think it's disgraceful, some of the attitudes of, of the current crop. Yeah, and, and I, you have to say that it's only some, you know, because there's yeah, a lot of yeah, really, of really good good players and good people out there. Um, but yeah, you know, and I hope when, when I had teams, that sort of came across as well, was that all I ask of you is that you give your all. Because if you run more than the opposition, if you give more than the opposition you're 80% more likely to win the game. Do you know what I mean? And then that little bit of quality added into that, you can you can go far. And that's what I've really, really tried to to instil in the teams that I've had. Yeah, so I've, I don't think there's any substitute is there for, for hard work. And we've all sort of watched those games where a team has come away from a, a, a game and they probably particularly didn't deserve to, to win on terms of chances and you know shots on target, but just that working hard and just making sure that you know you work really hard will we'll get you through it's it's interesting I always feel sorry for some players because you did have that really hard work ethic but some players have that sort of style don't they that's quite laid back and quite you know almost because they're 
probably really, really skillful sometimes, but they sort of have that laid back approach and they, they tend to get a little bit from the fans because they don't look like they're working as hard. You look at Stern John, for example, he's probably a prime example from my colleagues. <laughs> I'm days. glad you said it. Was gonna... <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't uh, a runner at all, yeah. but he was so skillful, so dynamic with yeah. the ball. You know, he could create something out of nothing. And that's why I feel you know, relationships with players, you know, the types that you try and mingle into your team are so, so important with that you put a stern with somebody that runs about, you know, I would run past him to, to help the team without the ball, but he would be the one that scores. Do you know what I mean? And that relationship would potentially win you a lot of games, even though he'd get a bit of stick for not running around. I'd probably get a stick for not scoring enough goals, but the relationship of the two worked as a pair. And, and I think that is more important in all you know aspects. Centre halves have got a relationship between them. You might have one quick one and one aggressive one. You might have a winger that comes inside for a fullback that goes on. It's two centre mids, one that holds, one that bombs on. You know, I think all relationships across the the pitch are so important that you get that right blend that they're not all the same. Yeah, I can see uh, your, your management head's coming out in already, uh, Andy. I can hear your, your, your mind ticking as we speak. Yeah, um, it's a great insight. And going to you, obviously, getting the Wrexham job, that must have been a proud day for you. And um, and you had very good success there. You got to Wembley on a couple of occasions. You would at Wembley in the FA Trophy final. Obviously, you, you lost in the conference final, uh, which was disappointing, but you had a really good win ratio there. Was it 52% in the end, around that figure? Yeah, about about 50%, yeah. Yeah, it's it's mad. I hadn't really thought about being a manager. Uh, Dean Saunders had done really well first 10 games, then got a move to Doncaster, and it just I was the eldest one there. Um, I'd probably been there a year or so, so under Dino, and knew how it worked. And I just got asked to take it for three games and just keep it tight while the takeover and they sorted out somebody new, etc. I took it for three games and we won two of them. And then they said, right, well, can you take it for another six, which is the month of October, I think it was. Just take it for those six. And then by the end, the takeover will be done. They'll either get their own man in or whatever. And I was like, listen, I'm happy to help because I, I am Wrexham. They were the ones that I gave me my first first chance in football. Um, I was delighted to just help out and I was in sort of a no-lose situation if I did all right and I enjoyed it I could see myself going into it if it didn't go so well I could just go back to being a player and, and crack on and uh, we won we won those next six I think it was and so I sort of put the trust that had bought the the club at the time I sort of put them in a tricky position because they couldn't really get their own man in they, they sort of had to go with me because I'd won eight of the previous nine games and we were flying so and that's what that's what happened I managed to get the, the, the job on a full-time basis got a couple of years contract doing it as player manager and to be fair the players were were really good with me they they saw me as the as the gaffer but when I was playing I was just another player and I left it to my assistant to take on the sidelines and and we like you say we had some some really good success and if it wasn't for a a really bad player called Jamie Vardy. I, I, I truly believe we we would have we would have got out of the league um, quite easily. Yeah, he's terrible, isn't he, Anders? <laughs> <laughs> he's so bad. He's so annoying as well. They the Fleetwood were the team um, to beat, and um, and he just won them so many games uh, late on in games. He was frightening. He scored thirty odd goals for them. And listen, they got hundred and odd points. We got ninety eight, and and ended up in the playoffs and. We, we were in the playoffs for the last 
that for six weeks before the end of the season, we knew we were in the playoffs. We were probably six points behind Fleetwood, something like that. So we knew we couldn't catch them. And our momentum just just hit hit the buffers a little bit. And, you know, we ended up getting beaten in the in the playoffs um, that year, I think by Luton potentially. But yeah, just really frustrating, frustrating time because to get 98 points and not get promoted is a, is a big hit to the gut, I have to say. Yeah, unheard of, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then the team gets 106. <laughs> um, and what sort of, um, so obviously, um, you know, you had that management and, and, and what are you sort of doing nowadays? What are you up to still obviously coaching, doing any coaching or? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I left Tamworth, um, had three or four years at Tamworth um, after Wrexham, which I, I really enjoyed. We really chilled, turned the, the club around, really, not necessarily the first team, but when I got to Tamworth, uh, they were part time. I was I was full time, and we we wanted to um, create an, an academy. They had no under twenty ones, no eighteens, nothing like that. No no young kids coming through. So any any it was just twenty one players for the first team, and um, and now sort of probably four and a half five years on, there's three hundred odd kids in an academy now. Um, teams playing in the MJPL. There's a, an 18s BTEC program with over 50 kids on it. There's a, an under 21s that feeds the first team, and I'm very, very proud of that. What we've, we've, what I set up, up there has continued and been able to continue. Obviously, the first team we did okay, and when I left, we were we were mid table, but unfortunately, by the end of that season, they got relegated. But since then, I've I've been looking to get back in. In that I had a project that I got involved with that, that didn't work out, and now um, it's very, very difficult to get back in. You're, you're soon forgotten, um, and I've got—I feel I've got good experience, seven years managing experience. I've got um, my A license. Played at a high level, yeah. Uh, I've played at a, at a good level, and I think I've got a lot to offer. It's just very difficult to get back in. So I'm, I'm sort of in the process now of, of setting something up for myself. Um, I'm doing a few one-to-ones with younger players to try and improve them, which is, is really good fun. I'm looking to mentor um, players. You know, I wish I'd known at 21 what I knew at 31. Yeah, um, how it all works. You yeah. know, how one, how it works, two, where to move, what to do, maybe something, you know, when to jump for a header. So more striker, I'm really keen on really being specific with strikers and striker coaching, whether that's with them out on the grass with their movements and their positioning, etc., or whether that's watching their clips and, and helping them that way. But I'm, I'm sort of trying to get a bit of a broad band. I'm doing a bit of coach mentoring for a couple of grassroots teams in the local area. So a bit of everything really, but if I could do anything, it would be work with, work with strikers either on a one-to-one or a little groups and really work with the, their movements and their where to be and, and how to really get ahead and, score more goals really and, and from that every everybody wins the agent wins the player wins and earns more money because they're scoring goals and I might be able to help in some way whether it's a young 20 year old or even somebody that's just stopped scoring and used to score and needs a little bit of a, a fresh outlook on things you know I'm really keen to help and that's what I really get I'm passionate about I suppose 
Do you think that young players get, I mean, they obviously get a lot of support, but going back to, you know, yourself and your own career, you know, it's, it's very difficult, really, I suppose, because, you know, you're, you're training obviously daily, but then there's a lot of free time. And do you think, do you think there's a lot of support for players, um, you know, from the clubs and around? Or do you think there's an area where that could, you know, perhaps the mentoring comes into even that sort of aspect? Uh, hugely. And people would probably say, well, why can't a manager, assistant manager do that? But they're so busy, so busy with everything else that's going on at a football club with regards to, you know, the lads doing community visits. There's all sorts going on at a football club that the manager's dealing with, not just the 11 on the pitch, the subs and extra training and things like that. And I just see at the moment a real movement or a sway towards technical stuff for individuals and individuals are investing in themselves to be the best that they can be. And that's sort of my mantra, really, is I can't, I can't tell them that they're going to play in the Premier League if you come and work with me. But what I can do is I can promise them that they can be the best that they can be and I can help them be that person that, that trains hard, that knows a little bit more about where to be, etc. And I think people are looking at that and going, well, if I invest a little bit in myself, the rewards are, are really, really high if, if it works. And if it doesn't work, I'm not lost a huge amount, do you know what I mean? It's not a huge expense to yeah, exactly. to maybe throw a, a hundred pounds of whatever at me watching some clips and, and re pushing back to them or whatever the amount is of investing in themselves because it might just help them because in the long run they might go and score fifteen in in League Two and get that moved up that's earned them an extra grand a week. Do you know what I mean? And it might just be the difference between them kicking on and not and. I just don't think they've got a lot to lose by by doing it, and I think I can see a sway in in players actually looking at investing in their uh, fitness and their nutrition themselves to be the best that they can be, and I, and I like that attitude. and And if I can help, especially strikers, because that's where I played and that's what I felt yeah. I was best at, I, I think I can help. Do you know what I mean? Maybe yeah, it feels like it's never been as tough as 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 ever. I think to become a professional footballer and 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 like you say, if if it doesn't matter if it's just young um, players, but especially young players, if they can get that insight from from someone that's sort of been there and, and had those appearances and and done it, then yeah, all, all the better. Yeah, and that, and it can work with you know younger kids who have got development plans. Do you know what I mean? You can work with a club. It doesn't have to be completely separate. You know, if they see a striker that he needs to, you know, work on his finishing, then why not use somebody else to work on his finishing, to use extra hours in the day when he's not tired or when there's a week without games? You know, the manager and assistant, they've got other stuff to do. You know, I can work with them on on the afternoon to help them. And and, and we could, you can get good partnerships and good relationships with clubs or all players, players don't necessarily have to let the manager know that they're doing extra. They just do extra because they, they think it's benefiting them. Sounds but I would, I would get back in, though. If somebody offered me a job, I, w- I would love to, I, I miss it. I have to say that I miss yeah. um, being around a changing room, being in and around that and, and trying to make players better, uh, whether it's an academy or whether it's a, you know, a, a first team or, or whatever. Um, I would love the opportunity to get back in and, and try and, and help and develop some kids. And, and you know, I'm passionate about seeing them do well and moving on and, uh, and having good careers. And we wish you all the best in that, Andy. And uh, 
And like you say, well, let's hope obviously the uh, development plan you've got obviously for strikers, if that comes off all well and good. But I think you're a bit wasted there maybe in a sense because I think the manager's career you've done through Wrexham and the great job you did at Tamworth as well, I think I think hopefully that, uh, there might be a job just around the corner for you because uh, I think you've got a lot to offer in the management state. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. If you could just buy a football club, then uh, <laughs> that would be great. If I, if I ever get the money, mate, you'll be my first manager. How's Thank that? you. Thank you. Okay. There is, you know, the way I got the manager's job when I first fell onto it, you know, players and people and managers are getting the jobs in, in similar ways. So I, I can't complain and I'm not one to be to be bitter. That's that's football, do you know what I mean? I, but I just, maybe somebody that got the, the manager's job now, the way I got it, I could be the one that helps them in, in a role around it, you know, to just help because I've, I've been there and done it and, and seen a lot of it. So, so maybe you never know. You never know. But it is just all about the network, isn't it? And, and just being a bit lucky on the opportunities that you fall on. Just to bring it back to uh, Coventry again, do you speak to any former players from Sky Blues? Yeah, I had a had a coffee with Doyle last week. Um, he's obviously coming to the back end of of his career, even though I think he could probably go on for another fair few. Um, we we regular touch base. He lives around the corner from me. Um, about where he's thinking of going future-wise and uh, what he wants to do and how he's how he's going to do that, whether he can help me with, because he's in and around players at the moment, whether he can mention to a couple of players, he's thrown a couple of names to me that I might want to pursue that might be interested in getting a little bit of help striker-wise. Um, so we're in the process of maybe helping each other. Um, I spoke to Graham Barrett recently. He's an agent at the moment, isn't he, over in Ireland, um, about maybe getting together for a coffee. Obviously, the organator, old Santa Claus. Um, he's. Uh, he, he's I've never my... heard that name. That must be a in football one. <laughs> That's just mine for him, really. Yeah, we used to call him. It used to come out at Christmas time, which was which was lovely for him. I bet he was devastated. Um, but yeah, we touch base regularly as well. He's now out in um, Alborg in Denmark, coaching there under 15s full time. So um, he, he's doing really well for himself as well so there's a, there's a few Scott Shearer I spoke to Saturday as well um, he might be able to help me out with um, with the striker coaching bit he's he's completely ditched football at the moment and is uh, training to be a financial advisor um, but his one of his friends in football is I won't the England striker coach sheet posts <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but yeah one of his one of his friends is the the England striker coach which he might be able to put me in touch with which again is a network thing which I'd love to to get half an hour with him and and see how he works it because I think his detail is is fantastic of, of watching some of the stuff he uses and maybe I can take some of that into what I'm looking to do uh, in the future but football is a really really weird, weird world you know you might not see somebody you know for example Scott Shearer for, for 10 years and you just pick up the phone and, and chat to him like you've, you've been in a changing room for the last year with him and that, that that's football for you you know you are more acquaintances than mates but you've also got something in common and you've been had a common goal together and when you meet people that you like you, you, you know you, you just touch base and, and kick off from where you left off and that's the good thing about football Andy it's been an absolutely pleasure talking to you this evening um, memories Brilliant. and reminiscing over Highfield Road past managers that you played with 
giving us an insight into the dressing room, giving us an insight to Peggy's terrible T-shirt, um, <laughs> which was a, a highlight of mine. But thank you ever so much for, for joining us on the Sky Blues Extra podcast. Um, and yeah, as we say, we wish you all the best in the future. Well, thanks for the opportunity, chaps. I've really enjoyed it. And just racking the brains I've been going through today, trying to think of something to tell you. And uh, it just seems to, to flood back. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, guys. And that brings the show to an end. And I hope you listeners at home have enjoyed the Sky Blues Extra podcast with our special guest, Andy Morrell. We hope to have a lot of other players going through in the future. And we appreciate of all of our followers listening to this evening's episode. And it's, it's the end of the show. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans